Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. A holdup man has been hitting large supermarkets in your city. He's fast and is experienced. Your job? Get him. documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, July 7th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from the office, and it was 10.22 a.m. when we got to the corner of 67th Street and Jefferson Boulevard, Lamont Brothers Market. Well, I guess I should have been scared. The office said he wanted the money. I gave it to him. I wasn't going to mess with him. Mr. Haskins? Yes, I'm Haskins. Who are you? Police officer, sir. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. Friday and Smith. Oh, oh yeah. You're the fellows that was talking about, huh? Sir? Well, the other ones, the cops in the car, they said there'd be a couple of detectives here. Have you seen the other cops yet? Yes, sir, we talked to them. They've already put out a call. What if we get some information from you? Sure. You want to come back here to the office? Yes, sir. Back this way, we can talk there. Just sit down. Mr. Haskins, if you just tell us what happened, please. Well, it's pretty simple. I was sitting here getting the money ready for the bank, and this guy came in. He said he wanted the money and the gun, so I gave it to him. I said, not anymore. He took the money and left. Mm-hmm. Well, what time was it, sir? Oh, around 8.30, quarter to 9. How many men were there, sir? Well, there was two. Two was all I saw. I, I don't think there was any more of them. All right, sir, if you could just tell us exactly what happened. Well, I told you. They came in they took the money. I know, sir, but if you'd go into more detail... Well, I came in about 7.30 this morning, like always. Checked things over the store to make sure that everything was okay. Then I started checking out the week's receipts. Uh-huh. Well, then, like I said, it must have been 8.45 or so, and heard this knock on the door. thought there must be something wrong. The employees know not to bother me when I'm making up the deposit slips. Yes, sir. That's when I knew that something was wrong. Right away, I said to myself, Larry, there's something up. Something isn't good. Yes, sir. Well, it was right. Went over the door and unlocked it. There he was, this big fellow. Stood there with a gun. Well, his eyes lit up when he saw all that money laying on the desk. You got any idea of how much money was taken, sir? Well, it was about 6000 cash. I guess another 1500 checks, more or less. Uh-huh. I wonder if you'd give us a description of this man, could you? Well, like I said, he was a big one, real mountain of a man, well over six feet. Had this gun, you know. Uh-huh. He stood there and said, this is a stick-up. I want that money. And he pointed at the money with his gun. Oh, what kind of a gun was it? Could you tell? That's a great question. Of course I could tell. He had it right under my nose. Shotgun. Saw it off. Had a stock cut down, too. Looked like a horse pistol. Well, he handled that thing. I wasn't going to mess with him. Uh-huh. I told him, take the money. Take it and get out. Not to shoot that thing off. He did. Walked right over the desk and scooped up the money. He had a paper bag. He put it down to the table. He scooped the money into it. Then he said to me to stay put. I to try to yell and be brave. He didn't have to tell me that. I, I wouldn't have tried anything. 
He said there was another man, is that right? Yes, I, I saw him when they left. The little fellow. Mm-hmm. About how tall would you say? Well, uh, kind of hard to tell. I didn't get very close to him. Well, was he armed too? Yeah, he was carrying a revolver. They drive a car, would you know? Well, if they did, I didn't see it. He went out after them. Then. I should say not. They got one fellow waved that gun around, and I stayed right here. He said to stay put, and that's just what I did. What did this big man look like? Oh, real mountain. He was six two anyway. He must have weighed weighed in at about two fifteen. Mm-hmm. How about his coloring? It was dark. He had black hair. His eyes were dark. Not not a brown. It was almost black. Real, real dark. Mm-hmm. Well, when he spoke, did he have an accent or anything like that? You might have noticed. No, well, I don't think so. At least there was one. I didn't notice it. Mm-mm. Did he have any scars or marks? What? Any scars or marks? Anything that might make it easier for us to identify him? Yes, yes, there was a little scar right right here. Right over the bridge of his nose. Across here. Mm-hmm. How about his clothes? What was he wearing? Had a brown hat on, a brown jacket. Short kind. Kind of what you'd call that, that real slick material, you know. Satin, like uh, bowling teams wear. Yeah, sir. Had on a pair of brown pants, brown shoes. How was the other one dressed? I couldn't tell you for sure. Like I said, I only saw him for a minute when I opened the door. He was out there telling the people to just mind their own business. Do that and they wouldn't get hurt. I didn't get a good look at him, but that big one, he was a real mountain. Do you usually have this much money around in the store? No, not usually. See, this was a long weekend. You know, the fourth was Friday, and whenever we have a long weekend, we usually have ten or $12,000 in cash here. That's uh, why the guys really do. Sir? Really missed the boat. You know, if they'd known what they were doing, they'd have gotten a lot more. Well, how's that, sir? The safe out in front. Another $7,000 out there. Guys missed it completely. Yes, sir. Yeah, I sure hope they, they don't come back for it. Eleven oh five a.m., Frank and I checked with the officers in the radio unit that had answered the call. They'd gotten out a broadcast on the bandits and then started the canvas of the neighborhood, but they didn't find anyone who could give them any information. One of the clerks was able to describe the smaller of the two suspects, and we got out a local and an APB on them, Then we took the market manager downtown to look at the mug books. He told us that the larger man had worn gloves all the time he was in the store, so there was no need to look for fingerprints. The market bandits had been operating for the past eight months. In that time, they'd held up 17 stores. Their method of operation was always the same. They hit only after a weekend or on the Monday following a holiday weekend. They'd hit only the larger supermarkets of the ranch type. Their operations had taken them all over the Southland. We'd tried to stake the markets that might be hit, but their field of operations had been so wide that it was impossible. 2.15 p.m., the market manager, Larry Haskins, started on the sixth mug book. Sure, a lot of them. Yes, sir. All these fellas all committed some crime, huh? Yes, sir, that's right. That one there looks like my brother-in-law. He's got a weak chin. Uh-huh, yeah, just like him. No? Mm-mm. Go through a few of these, and they all begin to look alike. Did you ever notice that? Yes, sir. Hey, wait a minute. Yes, sir. This fellow here. This one right here, you see? Mm-hmm. That's the fellow, no doubt about it. That's the one. The market manager had identified Bernard R. Hansen as one of the hold-up men. 
The other employees of the store were called in, and they identified the same picture as being the man who'd held them up. We checked on his record and found that he'd been convicted for armed robbery and had been sentenced to the state penitentiary. He'd also served six and a half years and had been released. We got the last known address of the suspect. Frank and I checked it out and found that Hanson had moved some months before, but had left a phone number where he might be contacted. 6.30 p.m. Frank put in the call. Yes, sir. That's right, sir. You sure about that, are you? I see. Well, if there's anything more you can think of, I'd appreciate a call. That's right, Michigan 5211. Extension 2511. Smith, that's right. Or if I'm not in, ask for Joe Friday. No, sir, Friday, like the day in the week. That's right. All right, thank you very much, Doctor. Goodbye. Anything? Yeah, I talked to Dr. Corby. The place is a rest home. Hanson's there as a patient. Been there for the past four months, and the doctor says he's bedridden. <laughs> We checked on the rest home. It was a private sanitarium in the valley. We got in touch with the medical authorities and found that the head of the hospital was listed as Dr. James Corby. Frank and I drove out and talked to Dr. Corby and the rest of the staff. From them, we got the story that Hanson had been a resident of the home for the past four months. We found that he had a lung ailment and was confined to his bed 24 hours a day. The doctor showed us his records and charts. From what we could tell, it would have been impossible for Hanson to have been the bandit. Three weeks passed. On August 4th, the market thieves hit again, this time out in East Los Angeles. They got away with a little over $9,000. The manager of the market came downtown and checked the mug book. They again identified Hanson as the thief. We had the stats office make another run on the MOUs. The result came back, and out of the thousands of cards checked, only one fitted the way the robbery had been carried out. Hanson's. We called the rest home and found that on the day of the holdup, the suspect hadn't left his bed. Another month passed. During that time, we ran down all leads. Informants were questioned, but they could tell us nothing. Apparently, the hold-up men were hitting and then dropping completely out of sight until they hit again. Monday, October 27th, 8.05 a.m. I checked in for work. Joe? Yeah. Did you just get in? Yeah, a couple of minutes ago. Sure is a beautiful day, isn't it? Yeah, did you see Diddy in yet? No. Well, he talked yesterday. I don't want to. Well, he's pretty hacked. I can't blame him too much. The guy sure seemed to have a stop. The thing I can't understand is that everybody's positive as Hanson. Doesn't seem to be any doubt in their minds. That doesn't make any sense. Did you get the kickback on the doctor? Yeah, I came in late yesterday. How about it? I can't find anything on him. Family man, lives out in the valley, a couple blocks from the hospital. Checked his bank account, he does pretty well, not great, no big deposits lately. Mm -hmm. Did you check the AMA on him? Yeah, he's not a member. I haven't got anything on him. How about the rest of the staff out there? Well, it seems to be okay. Two of the nurses have been there for over two years, and the male nurse was hired about five months ago. That'll be just before Hanson got there. Yeah. Well, what's his record? There isn't any. Nothing on him in the files, nothing from Washington. Well, I don't know. He seemed to come up out of the ground, pull the jobs, and then drop back in. Nothing on the partner? No, thought I had something. Talked to an informant this morning while I had coffee. He thought at first that he knew who the little guy was, but I remember that the fellow he was thinking about died two years ago. Hot shot, I got it. Well, let's go. I hit again. At 8.01 a.m. that morning, a pair of hold-up men had walked into a market out on Adams Boulevard and robbed the place of a little under $11,000. The manager gave us a description of the hold-up men. One was large, dark, and had a small scar over the bridge of his nose. The other was small, sandy-haired, and had no visible marks or scars. We showed the manager mugshots of Hanson, and he positively identified him as the larger of the two men. A local and an APB was gotten out on the pair, and then Frank and I drove out to the hospital to see Hanson. 
8.46 a.m. We talked with Dr. Corby. I know you men are trying to do your duty, but I've told you before, it couldn't possibly be Mr. Hanson. I know for a fact that he hasn't been out of his bed this morning. Was it possible for him to get out of his room without you knowing it? No. I wonder if we could see him, Doctor. No, I don't think that would be possible. He's still asleep and I can't have him disturbed. Are you sure, though, that he couldn't have left the hospital without you knowing it? Absolutely. No chance of it. What time does Hanson generally wake up, Doctor? Depends. Usually, though, I'd say he's awake by 9.30 or so. What if we could wait and talk to him? If you like. I'll tell one of the nurses to call you when he's awake. All right, sir. That'd be fine. One thing, though, I must insist on. What's that, Doctor? He mustn't be excited. I don't think you gentlemen really know how ill Mr. Hanson is. If you had any idea, you wouldn't be out here with this ridiculous questioning. Yes, sir. We understand. We're just trying to get this thing straightened out as soon as we can. Fine. I'll go along with you part of the way, but I'll not have my patient disturbed. Any excitement would be very bad for him. Well, don't worry, Doctor. We'll be as brief as possible. Fine. If you'll excuse me now, I've got some things to do. I'll tell the nurse to call you when he wakes up. And remember, no excitement. What do you figure, Joe? Oh, it's got me. The way he talks, every one of those witnesses are wrong. Yeah, it's happened before. Get a positive identification and end up with the wrong guy. Yeah. But all of them are so positive, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You the police officer? Yeah, that's right. Why? Bob Jameson. I work here. Oh, yeah, you're the male nurse, is that right? Yeah. You're out here about Barney Hanson, aren't you? We want to see him, yeah. What can we do for you? It's about Barney. What about him? I don't think things are the way they look. What do you mean by that? I wouldn't want the doctor to know I've been talking to you. He'd raise the roof, probably fire me. What's it about, Jameson? Like I said, it's about Barney. Yeah. When I came here, they told me that Barney was pretty sick, so they didn't expect him to live. Yeah. One day the buzzer rang in his room. You know, he wanted something? Uh Uh-huh. Well, the doctor was on the phone. The other nurses were busy. So I started down the hall to see what Barney wanted. Got to the door of the room, and the doctor stopped me. Uh Uh-huh. Really read me off. Said that I wasn't to go into the room at all. That he was taking care of Barney personally. That he'd see what he wanted. Yeah. No, that was just the first time. Same things happened a couple more times. Then he told us about you. Told us what to say if you asked any questions. Well, what did he tell you? Said that we wasn't to tell you anything. That we didn't know anything. Well, why didn't you tell us all this before? Now, you see, this isn't a regular hospital. I don't think that he's even a regular doctor. I worked around hospitals for a long time. I never saw no doctor act like he does. He doesn't even know how to write out a diet, feed some of the people here all the wrong things. That right? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, too. What's that? I don't think there's anything wrong with Barney. I think the whole reason for him being here is phone. Bob? Oh, yes, Doctor. What are you doing here? Came to see if these gentlemen needed anything. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll take care of it now. Will you check on Mr. Hardy, please? See if he's awake yet. Yeah, sure. Just a minute. What? I'd like you to stay here for a minute. I'm afraid we're going to have to see Mr. Hanson right now, Doctor. I'm afraid that's impossible. I told you before, I'm not going to have him disturbed. I'm afraid we're going to have to disturb him. It won't take very long. Jameson, where's his room? I'll show you. Down this way. I'm going to speak to your superiors about this, coming into a hospital and disturbing patients. I'm sure the fact that your officers doesn't give you the right to do this. Now, this is his room. You want to open the door? Well, how about it, Doctor? Well, I don't understand it. He's got to be here. He can't get out of bed. I'm sure there's some explanation for his disappearance. Yeah, maybe you can explain this, too. There's stuff here in his bed. What is it, Joe? A gun and some money. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Chesterfield regular... 
Chesterfield King Size. The first cigarette to give you premium quality either way you like them. This means that King Size Chesterfield contains tobaccos of better quality and higher price than any other King Size cigarette. Chesterfield is first to name all its ingredients. Ingredients that make the best possible smoke. And Chesterfield gives you this full year scientific report. No adverse effects to the nose and throat of a group smoking only Chesterfield. So enjoy your smoking. Change to Chesterfield today. Much milder, with an extraordinarily good taste. a.m. We called the office and two more teams of men came out to help us search the place. Hanson was not on the grounds of the hospital. In his room, we found several floor plan drawings of markets that had been robbed. The drawings showed the location of the manager's office and of the safe. Along with the drawings, we found several maps with roads marked on them leading back to the hospital. A stakeout was placed on the rest home in the event that the suspect returned and Frank and I drove the doctor back downtown. We talked to him for an hour before he finally told us the story. He said that Hanson had come to him and offered him money to say that he was ill and to give him a room. The doctor went on to say that after he got started, he tried to get out of the deal, but that Hanson said he'd get his family if the doctor said anything about his activities to the police. Dr. Hanson's accomplice, Marty Peterson. He said that he didn't know where Peterson lived, but that he usually came out a couple of times a week to see Hanson. We notified the stakeout to be on the lookout for Peterson, and then we booked Dr. Corby at the main jail. We ran the name Marty Peterson through R&I, but we got no mate. We sent the name to George Breton up at CII in Sacramento and also to Washington. The kickback gave Peterson a record of two arrests of robbery and one for ADW in the East. It also gave the name of a sister who lived in Los Angeles. We were able to tell us where Peterson lived. Thursday, October 30th, Frank and I drove out to his apartment. The manager. Yeah, what is it? You Marty Peterson? Yeah, you are. Police officers, you're under arrest. Come on, Get out of here, you lousy fuck. All right, come on, get out of here. You got no right to come in here and bother me. What's all this about? Want to shake him? Yeah, come on, get your hands up on that wall. He's carrying a gun, Joe, here. I got it. What are you guys trying to prove? I didn't do nothing. You guys lean on everybody like this. Fellow's got a record, and right away he's fair game for every crummy cop in the country. Yeah, you bet. Come on, let's go. Well, you still haven't told me what this is all about. What are you putting a pinch on me for? Robbery. Robbery? You're off your rocker. I'm out here on a vacation. I haven't done anything. You're an ex-con with a gun. That's a felony. And where's Barney Hanson? Who? Barney Hanson. Where is he? I don't know no Barney Hanson. Don't know what you're talking about. Right, let's come off it, Peterson. Now, where is he? Barney Hanson? I might know what you're talking about. I know a fellow by that name, but he's out in a hospital in the valley. I haven't seen him for a long time in a hospital out in the valley. Nice try, Peterson. Hanson checked out of the hospital. We got the doctor. He told us all about it. Now, where's Hanson? I don't know. Last I heard of him, he's out at that hospital. If he ain't there now, I don't know where he is. All right, let's go downtown. That doctor copped out, huh? Yeah. Told us him in the whole setup. How about the money? Hmm? You find the money? No, we didn't find anything. You didn't find any dough at all? Not a bit. Crumb, the lousy crumb. He told him to be safe out there. It'd never shake a hospital. Not a dime, huh? No. Looks like he left you to stand for this. He probably took off with all the money. Probably never see him again. Yeah, we ain't gonna get away with it. No, sir, he ain't. 
Looks like he will. Oh, yeah? I'll tell you where he is. We took Marty Hansen down to the city hall, and he was booked at the main jail. Before he was booked, he gave us the name and address of Hansen's girlfriend. Frank and I drove over and talked to her. She told us that she hadn't seen the suspect for several weeks. She said that she'd heard that Hansen had been running around with another girl. She also told us that she'd heard Hansen had bought a new car and was running around with a new bunch of friends. She said that she hadn't seen him since he got the new car, but that she'd heard it was a new Oldsmobile and it was painted a fire engine red. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout on her apartment, and then we began to check out the Oldsmobile dealers in the Los Angeles area. Two teams of men were assigned to help us in running down the list. It took us two days to talk to the dealers in town. Each of the dealers was shown a mugshot of Hanson. Two days went by. Finally, we got an identification. A dealer out on Franklin in Hollywood reported that he'd sold a car to Hanson. However, when we checked the address he gave us, we found that Hanson had moved a week before and left no forwarding address. We got in touch with the Department of Motor Vehicles, and from them, we got the address where they sent the pink slip. It was an apartment house out on Highland Avenue. Frank and I went out to check it out. Yes? Bernard Hanson in? No, he isn't. Something you wanted? You expecting him? I don't know. I haven't seen him this morning. I just got here myself. What if we could talk to you? Who are you? Police officers. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. How do you do? I'm Lily Edwards. Come on in. Thank you. Thank you, man. Get you anything? Cup of coffee? Anything? No, no, thanks. When'd you last see Hanson? Last night. We got a date at 2.30 this afternoon. What time is it now? Well, it's 2.37, ma'am. Late. He'll be along in a minute. What do you want to see him about? Done something? Better we could talk to him. Personal, huh? Yes, ma'am. He's a wild one, old Barney. Him and that red car. Real wild. Ma'am? That car he drives. You know, it's a red old. He's like a kid with it. Always wiping it off, taking care of it. I think he'd bring it up here at night if he could. Never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. How long have you known Hanson, Miss Edwards? Not long. A couple of weeks, I guess. Not much more than that. Where'd you meet him? Well, I hope you won't get the wrong idea, but... Ma'am? Well, I live down on Vine Street, below Fountain, you know? Yeah. Well, I usually have morning coffee at the drugstore, the big one on Vine. Yeah. Well, one morning, Barney comes in. I guess it's about nine, somewhere around there. He plunks down on the stool next to mine. Then he takes out a package of cigarettes and starts to light one. He's shaking so much he can hardly hold the match up to the cigarette. Well, I got to laughing because I thought he was hung over. Anyways, we got to talking, and the next thing I knew, he asked me out to lunch. Uh-huh. Well, I knew it wasn't proper, but I figured, well, he seemed like a nice guy, so I told him that I'd meet him. We had lunch that day, and we sort of been going together since. I see. Hanson never told you what he did for a living? No. I asked him a couple of times, but he wouldn't say anything right to the point. He, you know, kind of hedged around the bush. So I figured that he didn't want to tell me, and I stopped asking. He was always nice to me. No need for me to pry into his personal affairs. What time you got now? It's 2.40, ma'am. Can't understand it. He's usually so prompt. I hope nothing happened to him. He said sure to meet him at 2.30. Or was it 3.30? I don't remember too well. Never sure about times or dates, things like that, you know. Yes, ma'am. You ever met a man named Peterson, Marty Peterson? Marty Peterson? Yeah, I've met him, a little guy. That's bad. Yeah, he's a friend of Barney's. They're in some sort of business together. I don't know just what it is, but I know that they're associated in some way. Hanson's never said anything about this business to you, has he? No. Like I said, he's very close-mouthed about what he does. You ever mention a Dr. Corby to you? Corby. Well, I don't think I've ever heard that name before. Would you know how long Hanson's lived here? No, I think he moved in just before I met him. I don't think he's been here very long. Say, what are all these questions about? I hope I haven't said anything to get Barney in trouble. He's such a nice guy. I sure wouldn't want to do that. No, ma'am. You haven't done that. Hi, Lily. 
Who are you? What are you doing here? Police officers. You're under arrest, Hanson. For what? Suspicion of robbery. I'll shake them, Joe. Now, wait a minute. What is this? A shakedown? What are you guys trying to prove? You got nothing on me. I fell once. I did my time. I owe you nothing. He's clean, Joe. Why'd you do that? I'm not giving you any trouble. I got no reason. You got nothing on me. I got nothing to worry about. I'll go with you. There's no reason not to. You mean what these guys say is true? You've been mixed up in some robbery? Oh, knock it off. What do you mean, knock it off? Don't you talk to me like that. I'm not going to take talk like that from you. Like I said, knock it off. All right, come on, let's go. You really figure you got me for a 211, huh? Yeah, we got the rest of them, too. Peterson and the doc? That's right. I suppose they talked, huh? Yep, they told us all about it. Ah, sweet racket. Should have known it could only last so long. Should have figured that the longer I played against the house, the shorter my chances were. It is true, and you never told me. All this time, and you never told me you were a crook. Of all the rotten deals... Oh, deal... shut up, will you? Always shooting off your big mouth. Listen, Barney Hanson, I told you before, don't you talk to me like that. I won't take it. You haven't got much choice now, have you, Lily? You know something, cop? What's that? It'd be kind of pleasure to get into a nice, quiet jail. Get away from this dumb broad. She's the dumbest broad in the entire United States and Canada. Real pretty, but boy, she's stupid. Now, I told you, Barney Hanson, I'm not going to have you talk to me like that. She's a real shrew. Young, and she's a real shrew. Let's go. Glad to get away from it. All right, Barney Hanson, that does it. I'm through with you. I've had it. It's going to be a long time before I even talk to you. A long time. Yeah, well, you're right about that. Let's go. <laughs> The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 4th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Bernard R. Hansen and Martin S. Peterson were tried and convicted of robbery in the first degree. They were filed on for ten counts and received sentences as prescribed by law. Robbery in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of from five years to life. Dr. James Corby was allowed to plead guilty to a lesser charge and was sentenced to one year in the county jail and placed on probation for ten years. One of the terms of his probation being that he is not permitted to operate a rest home. A series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Frazier. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Rodman, Herb Ellis. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.
Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. A gang of quick trigger gunmen have moved in on your city. They've given public notice that they'll kill the first cop who tries to take them. You know the risks, your job, apprehend the suspects. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case, from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, April 17th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My partner's Ben Romero. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the record bureau. It was four minutes to six when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hey, Ben, I pulled a package on the Raymond killing. And that proves you can still read, Friday. He's at it, Jill. Your pal, Fred Lindsay. Hiya, Fred. What's doing? Busier than you are. We know what we're looking for. Just having a little trouble finding them. That's the way it is with automobiles. They misplace so easy. Not normally they don't. We've got a small-size epidemic on our hands. Well, don't let us keep you, Fred. Just ducked in here for a breath of calm air and to invite you to dinner for the last time. The wife and I are still waiting for the first time. How about it, Joe? Ruth's got a new pressure cooker. Your uh, sister-in-law visiting you again, huh? No, on the level, not selling a thing. Come on. Who is it this time? My cousin. But she's awfully pretty, Joe. Oh, why do you guys insist on trying to marry me off? Me and Fred went down fighting, but it kind of grows on you after a while. Now, tell me, what is it about a married man? Just can't stand to see one single man left in the world. How about it, Joe? Tomorrow night at 7, okay? Okay. Tell Ruth I'll be there. It figures that he's got to run out of kinfolks pretty soon. Fine. We'll be expecting you. Got a stakeout tonight, but tomorrow I'll be clear. Anything, Ben? Nothing definite, Ben. Just to follow up on those stolen cars. See you, men. So long, Lindsay. Joe, you'll like my cousin. Oh, never say die. What a character. Hmm. You just catnip the women, Joe. Yeah. Well, here's that Raymond package. Let's check those dates that Backstrand wanted, huh? Wednesday, April 17th was just routine. A dinner date I tried to get out of, some paperwork that the chief wanted done, and a hot, sticky day. Too hot to wear a suit of clothes. Sometimes it's like that. A day starts out being routine... By the time it comes of age, it's got a personality all its own. At 10.23 that night, Ben and I were just finishing up the paperwork, and Ed Backstrand opened his office door. Righty, Romero, just got a hot shot call. What's your guts, Giver? Hold up and shooting at Hooper and Esperanza, code three. Code three, that means red light and siren. It was 10.32 when Ben and I pulled up at the corner of Hooper and Esperanza. It was a bar in the basement of a building on the south side of the street. A radio car was there, and the two officers were holding the crowd back. A man was talking to one of the officers who turned and pointed to us. As Ben and I got out of our car, the man hurried over to us. 
You're the detectives? That's right, Sergeant Friday. My name's Cummings, R.L. Cummings. I own the bar. This is terrible. There was a gunfight downstairs. Uh Uh-huh, come on. Where's the ambulance? One of the officers in the radio car said we needed the coroner. Did you see the actual shooting? No, I didn't. Here's the fellow that was shot. Oh, that's Jones from the crime lab. Hello, Friday. Romero. Hi, Lee. What do we got here? Pretty bad. Looks like a shotgun. Close range. Mm, He really got in the way of it. Ben. Yeah. It's Fred Lindsay. Motor theft. He was on a stakeout, Lee. Tell us about it, Mr. Cummings. You know this fellow, Sergeant? Yeah, we know him. What happened? We had a holdup tonight. Three men. Yes, go on. Well, uh, business was good, real good. We had a large crowd, and I was happy about that because I've been trying to sell out for a long time now. I've been showing the place to different parties all week long. I had a fellow coming over tonight to take a look at it. What time was that? A little less than an hour ago, about 9.30. I see. Go ahead. It was almost time for this man to show up, so I called Eddie. That's my bartender, and... I told him to kind of keep a lookout for the man because I was going back to the office to get the books ready to show. You know how it is when you want to sell a business. You'll watch for him, Eddie. You bet I will. If you want me, I'll be back in the office. Keep your mouth shut and stand still. Huh? You own this bar, don't you? Well, yes. What is this? You're the boy we want to see. Which one of you? All three of us. What's going on? What's it look like, genius? It's a stick-up. I haven't any money. You go to the bank on Thursdays, don't you? Well, I, I made my deposit today instead. I've been watching you for a month now. Don't give us that. You go to the bank on Thursdays. Now, come on, hand it over. I'm telling you the truth. I, I usually go on Thursdays, but I, I went today instead. You're lying, Ace, and we ain't got much time. Look, you can have all the money I've got on me. I think it's about 200 but that's all I have here. Why argue with him? Take what he's got and we'll shake the customers down. No, no, please don't do that. You got my money. Isn't that enough? No, it ain't. Oh. Come on, let's go out front. That's about all I remember, Sergeant. When I come around, I, I was lying on the floor of my office. You better have somebody take a look at that cut on your face. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to right away. There's my bartender. He saw the fight. What's his name, Eddie? Yeah. Eddie? Yes, sir? These men are detectives, Eddie. Will you, will you tell them what you saw? Oh, it was pretty rough. And tell us what happened when they started to shoot. Uh, that fellow the coroner just took out of here sure was long on nerve. Took on all three of them, single-handed. Uh-huh. Tell us what you saw. You ought to get that fellow's name. Sure had a lot of nerve. Took over just like he was a cop. He was a cop. Now, what did you see? I pegged him for a cop. Well, he was sitting up at the bar. Been nursing a bottle of beer for about an hour. I was keeping an eye on the front door, watching for this fellow the boss wanted to see. So I didn't see the three hold-up men come through from the back. But I heard them. <laughs> All right, let's knock it off. You can all see this shotgun. Anybody make a move and I'll blow your head off. Demas, cover the front door. Got it. Sickle, shake him down. Okay, Jance. You guys in the band, keep that music going. The rest of you people turn around and face the bar. Put your hands on top of the bar and leave them there till we tell you to move. Come on, hurry up. Knock it off. Okay, Sickle. We'll take your money. Your watch is anything else you got. Now, don't try to be cute and hold out. All right, you, take off the watch. I'll get your bill for You, lady, let's have the ring. This man they called Sickle went right down the line, took everything he could lay his hands on. Uh, This cop, your friend, was facing me at the far end of the bar. He was standing there just like the others. He kind of leaned toward me a little. Can you see the guy with the shotgun? Yeah. Where is he? Center of the room. The other guy still at the door? Yeah. Got his gun out? Yeah. Holding it in his right hand. 
How far down the line is the other guy? About ten people away. Hey, you two down at the end there. Knock it off. Hurry up, sickle. Doing the best I can. Come on, let's have the first lady. You, next to the lady here. Get the watch off. I'll take this wallet How far away now? He's getting closer. But we better set up like he says. I'm going to take the one with the shotgun first. Oh, blow you to pieces. I got a gun. How far away is that guy now? I thought Jans told you two to shut up. All right, Sickle, try to move and I'll break your back. Let me go. Go ahead and shoot, Jans. Let me go. All you people at the bar, down on the floor. Okay, you with that shotgun, grab it. Lemus, can you get a shot at him? Not without hitting Sickle. Come on, you, I'm waiting. You got us all wrong, boy. We like Sickle, but not that much. The cop was holding Sickle as a shield. When the big guy let go of the shotgun, both the cop and Sickle ducked. The cop didn't get hit. This man, Sickle, fell over on his face and grabbed at his arm. The man with the shotgun went down on one knee, holding his stomach. The man at the door took a shot at the cop, but he missed. Then the cop fired three shots at the man by the door. Looked like the first two missed. But the last one caught the man in the leg and he went down. Well, by this time, the big guy with the shotgun had recovered enough to hold his weapon again. I tried to warn the cop. Look out! The guy with the shotgun! I see him! Cop pointed his gun and pulled the trigger, but he was out of shells. Boy, Sergeant, my stomach knotted up when I heard that hammer fall against those empty chambers. The cop threw his gun at the guy with the shotgun and then ran right at him. You know, it was just as if that cop was trying to run right down the barrel of that shotgun. I glanced at the cop on the floor, and then I tried to follow the three of them as they made their way out of the bar. They jumped into a car out front and drove off. There's a kid, I used to watch Bill Hart take on a whole gang in the movies, but this way, right in front of my eyes, Sergeant, he was an awful brave guy. Did you get the license number of their car? No, I didn't. I couldn't see very well. You got a pretty good look at all three of the men, though, didn't you? I believe I'd recognize any of them. Thanks, Eddie. What's your last name? Uh, Bowers. Eddie Bowers. Got that, Ben. Yeah. You'll be hearing from us, Eddie. We may want you to look at some pictures for us. Glad to help any way I can, Sergeant. I hope you get the men that shot this cop. You're sure going to try, aren't you? Yeah, Eddie. We're sure going to try. The next step was for Ben and I to make a complete report to Chief Ed Backstrand. They got Lindsay, huh? That Fred Lindsay an auto theft? Yeah, that's right. Good cut. You say he wounded two out of the three in that holdup? Yeah. That means they'll have to have medical attention in a hurry. We'll check all the small hospitals, cover all the drugstores to get in line on anyone who's bought medical supplies in the last hour. Mm-hmm. As soon as medical detail notifies Ms. Lindsay, I'd like to go over and see her. Smith, the medical details out there now. By the time you get back, we may have a flash in the drugstores or hospitals. We'll be back in 30 minutes. Call them when you get out there. Right, Ed. You might carry this with you. Yeah. I'm sick. I'm sick to my stomach about this thing. I want you to get those two-bit punks. I don't want them to see another sunrise. Got that, haven't you? Yeah, Ed. Let's go, Ben. Chandler? Yes, sir. Put out an APB. Have communications broadcast the descriptions of these suspects every 30 minutes until further notice. Get them to communication right away. Hello, Joe. Come in. Thanks, Ruth. Sit down. Ruth, you know how we all feel. It's all right, Joe. You married to a cop, I guess you're meant to expect things like this. He'll like that. Fred and I used to discuss the possibility of this. Used to worry about him. Used to worry a lot, Joe. 
All those nights when he was away and days, I used to worry. Now I know he's safe. Anything you want or you need? Thanks, no, Joe. Anything at all that I can do? Yes, Joe. I think there's something you can do. You and Ben are assigned to this case, aren't you? That's right. Then be careful. Just thinking that you and Ben will have to face those killers. Ben's wife. Be careful, Joe. Yeah, Ruth, we will. Oh, sure. I want to see you get the men that did this to Fred. More than anything, I want that. No more heartaches. Yeah. Thanks for coming by, Joe. How'd you take it, Jim? Let's go. Joe. Joe, how'd she take it? You're married, Ben. You figure it. It was 11.30 when we got back to Central Division. As we walked into the squad room, Backstrand was waiting for us. Righty, we just got our first lead. We've located a druggist who said he sold some medical supplies to a man about 45 minutes ago. There's the address. Pretty close to the scene of the shooting. Hop out and see him right away. The Rex Pharmacy was exactly 14 blocks from the Red Feather Bar where the shooting took place. Rex Pharmacy was like your corner drugstore, complete with apothecary jars and shower curtains. The druggist was the same little man who has been prescribing sulfur and molasses since you were a kid in school. I'm just about ready to close. Uh, what can I do for you, gentlemen? We're from the police department. Uh, I've been halfway expecting you fellows. We got a report that you sold some medical supplies to a man about an hour ago. Yes, sir, that's right. It's like I was telling those other officers that were here a while ago. Uh, there was something funny about that little fellow. How you mean? Well, for one thing, he came in here sweating quite a bit. Of course, it's a warm night, but he seemed terribly nervous. Anybody with him? No, he was all by himself. What did he buy? Well, it wasn't so much what he bought, but how much? What do you mean? You know how most people buy iodine, a little ten-cent bottle. He bought a couple of pints. Then there was all that gauze and adhesive tape. Bought enough to repair a small army. Cotton, box of swabs. Then he asked me something that made me wonder. What was that? Asked me if I had something to probe with. That's just the way he said it. Something to probe with. I asked him, oh, what do you want to probe for? What did he say? Said a splinter. I told him a sewing needle would do the trick. He said, forget it, and then he paid me and walked out. Mm -hmm. Could you describe the man? Mm -hmm. He's a small man, dark. Like I said, awful nervous. You think you could identify him? Oh, sure I could. If I ever saw him again. Well, did he leave on foot, or was there a car outside? Uh, left in a cab parked right out in front couldn't miss it uh, did you happen to take down the license number well no i didn't but i did jot down the taxi cab number uh, would that help taking down cab numbers isn't exactly in a druggist's line but because he had the presence of mind to do that one small thing we accomplished in 10 minutes what could have well taken as many weeks maybe with this small wedge we could do what backstrand wanted us to do Get the killers before another sunrise. Well, it was close to midnight when we stepped into the drugstore phone booth. I called the cab company, got the night supervisor. I gave him the number of the cab, and he checked his location chart. Cab 375 was operating out of a stand at Wilshire and Greenhaven. He was the right driver, and he remembered the fare. Sure, I know who you mean. A little guy seemed in a big hurry. It was a long fare, though. I took him out to Inglewood. 
Uh, wait till I check my log sheet. I'll give you the exact address. Here it is, Joe. 1523 Imperials. Uh, the room in half. Yeah, come on. We'll check with the landlady. Kind of late, Joe. Yeah. Let's stand away from the door, huh? Might not be the landlady who answers. Yes, what do you want? Police department. Oh, well, just a minute. Let me see your badge. There you are, ma'am. I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Romero. Homicide. All right. What do you want? I run a good, clean rooming house It's here. not the house, lady. It's one of your tenants. Which one? That's what we want you to help us on. Look, do you men know what time it is? Come back here in the morning. Sorry, this can't wait till morning. Well, I'm not going to invite you in. We'll talk right here on the porch and keep your voices down. My tenants work during the day. Whatever you say, ma'am. Now, what is it you want to know? We're looking for a small, dark man. Well, I got three here. Could fit that description. No, he came in late tonight, about 45 minutes ago. I wouldn't know about that. I don't spy on my people. This is very important. You'll have to keep your voices down. Sorry. He's dark and he's small. No, I didn't just say he was dark. You must mean Mr. Tyndall. What's he done? What's his room number? He's in room 10, but I can't allow you to tramp up and down the stairs. At this hour, you'll wake all my rumors. We'll be as quiet as he wants us to be. What do you mean by that? Is there going to be trouble? I don't know, lady. Uh, where do we find number 10? The end of the hall, last room on the right, and keep your voices down. If you'll just wait in your room, lady, we'll call you for won't you? Okay, here we are. If I keep the door clear, Ben, we might have trouble. Think they all in there? We'll know in a minute. What do you want? There. Police department. Hey. I'll try this closet, Joe. What do you want with me? What are you looking for? Closet's empty. What'd you say your name was? Tendo. Bob Tendo. New name, but same face, huh, Joe? Yeah. How long you been out of jail, Tenny? My name ain't Tenny. It's Tendo. Your name's not Tendo. It's Sam Tenny. We sent you up on a robbery charge four years ago. Now, isn't that right, Tenny? No, it's not right. You got the wrong man. I've never been in jail. Yes, you have, because we sent you there. Now, come on. Who'd you buy the medical supplies for? I don't know what you're talking about. Look, Timmy, it's a hot night and it's late, so let's cut out the smart talk, huh? Who'd you buy those medical supplies for? Timmy, look, you're a two-time loser right now. Who are you shielding? You got nothing on me. I ain't done a thing. We can prove that you bought those supplies tonight, and it can go kind of hard on you. So let's open up. I haven't been out of this room all night long. We got a druggist and a cab driver who'll make a liar out of you. I still don't know a thing. That cab driver hauled you home here 45 minutes ago. Where were you? I was out on a date. Is that who you bought the medicine for? Ben, call the druggist and get that cab driver. We'll take Tenny downtown. All right, all right. All I did was buy the bandages and stuff. I got nothing else to do with this. Who'd you buy the stuff for? Now, you know everything else. You'll figure it out. Oh, now, look, punk. We know there were three of them. One of them killed a cop. We're going to get to them, and Tenny, you're not going to stand in our way. They killed somebody. He didn't tell me that. Who didn't tell you? Well, I don't want any part of murder. I'm going to tell you who it was, but I'm clean. I got nothing to do with it. I was trying to help him out of a jam. Who were you trying to help? It was Roy Bemis, Charlie Sickle, and Red Jans. They didn't tell me nothing about murder. Well, why'd you help? They offered me a pretty good piece of change to run an errand for me. You, you know, I got paid for. That's, that's all I had to do with it. Where did you deliver those medical supplies? Do I have to tell you that? I'm afraid of Jans. He's awful free with that shotgun. We'll give you protection. Now, where are they? Can I go to jail till you get them? You'll get protection. Give us the address. It's an apartment house. Just around the corner from here. The Blue Eagle. 
We took Sam Tenney down to Central Division with us. On the way downtown, he told us that Red Jantz and the other two had their room at the Blue Eagle barricaded. Tenney said that they told him that they'd kill the first cop who tried to take him. But we knew they were wounded. He told us that Sickle had an arm wound, Bemis got it in the leg, and Jantz had a slug in his side. We figured they'd be weak from the loss of blood, and we could take them easy. You'll never take those guys easy. Sure, they lost a little blood, but they had enough fight left to stack that room. And they got enough left to kill you if you try to take them. On the way to headquarters, we stopped at an all-night drive-in and called Ed Backstrand. We told him we had a radio car watching the Blue Eagle. We gave him the whole story and told him we were on our way in. By the time we checked into Homicide, Ed had the plan all mapped out. It was 2.25 a.m. Here's the map from the city engineers. It's one city block bounded on the north by Hawthorne Street, on the south Lawndale Avenue, on the east 16th Street, and to the west 17th. The Blue Eagle apartment house is right here, on 16th and Hawthorne. West of the Blue Eagle is a private residence. South of the Blue Eagle on 16th is a vacant lot. There are 12 apartments in the building. The men we want are on the second floor, number 11. That apartment faces east on 16th. How do you want to handle it, Ed? Now, Baker and Moorheim will evacuate the private residence. Friday, you and Romero clean out the apartment building. Right, Skim. All traffic is being diverted. The entire block is completely isolated. We'll throw up a cordon. As soon as we clear the residence, nobody goes in, nobody goes out. Will you brief us again when we get there, Ed? I'll give you all the briefing you need right now. Get this. These guys have already killed a cop. I don't want to lose any more. You know they're heavily armed and they're desperate. Have the men draw shotguns, tear gas, and tommy guns. I'll take care of that, Skipper. All right, now, we're not going in after these punks like tin horn heroes. We're going after them, and we're coming out alive. All of us. What time is it, Friday? 2.37. Not much time till sunup, is it? It was a code two. That means red light and move fast. Backstrand figured we needed six squad cars, four men to a car, the police public address truck, ambulance, and floodlights. Ben checked out the weapons to the men, and by 2.46, we pulled out of the Central Division garage. We slid into the area at 3.20 a.m. The six squad cars and the public address truck took up their positions. The floodlights were rigged and ready to turn on at Backstrand's command. The machinery was set to roll as soon as we got the neighborhood cleared. Ben and I evacuated the Blue Eagle apartment house. How many does that make, Joe? Well, we've cleared nine. Two to go. Here's apartment ten. The killers are right next door. Joe, I'd like to kick that door in right now. Take your time, Ben. We'll get to him. Quiet now. Yeah, what is it? Police department. May we come in? Yeah, of course. What's the trouble? No trouble. We're evacuating the building. Now, we'll have to ask you to leave by the back door. We'll notify you when to return. Please leave quietly and lock your door. What's huh? going on? No time to explain. Thank you very much for your cooperation. Okay, now, we'll skip 11 and go to 12. Yeah. Bill, who are you? Police department, can we come in? Sorry to disturb you at this hour. We're evacuating the building. Please hurry and leave quietly by the back door. You'll be notified when to return. Lock your door when you leave, thank you. It was 4.10 a.m. Everything was set now. The neighborhood was completely cleared. The entire block was empty except for apartment 11 on the second floor of the Blue Eagle. I left Ben to watch the door of apartment 11. I went downstairs and across the street to join the rest of the men. It was Ed Backstrand's show from here on. That's it, Ed. All set. Baker, 
Morheim. All clear? All clear, Chief. Baker, you and Morheim take three men and cover the rear of the building. Right. Is that detail covered Hawthorne Street? They're all set in. How about the vacant lot? Taken care of. The rest of you men? Yeah. Friday and I are going into the building. We'll try to get them to come out now. Uh, Johnson. Yes, sir? Come with us and keep us covered. Let's go. Apartment 11's up at the head of the stairs, Ed. Right. Any action, Romero? Not a thing, Skipper. Keep down, all of you. I'll try to get them out. Gents, Bemis, Sickle, you're all alone. The building's clear. Come on out with your hands behind your head. Come on out, gents, or we'll come in and get you. You hear me? I hear you, Ed. Come on, let's get out to the street. Johnson, cover that door and be careful. Keep down. All right, Chief. Friday, Romero, come with me. We left Sergeant Johnson to watch the door, and we ran out on the 16th Street and ducked down behind the police sound truck. The floodlights hit the side of the building. Backstrand grabbed the microphone. Giants, Bemis, Sigel. You've got 30 seconds to come down out of that room. Walk out backwards with your hands behind your head. Stay together. Don't fan out. 30 seconds, Giants. They're making it tough, Ed. Romero, lob some tear gas through that window. Right, Skipper. Come on out, Bemis. We're giving you a chance. That's more than you gave that cop in the bar. Come on out. That's Jance, Ed. He isn't coming out. They must have got Johnson because they're in another room. Shoot the gas in there. That's not going to get him out, Ed. Give it time, Freddy. Floodlights in up there. Friday, rake that second floor with the Tommy gun. Let's keep them in one room. Right. Hold your fire, Freddy. George, give us a couple of masks. Ben and I are going in. The rest of you men, concentrate your fire on those two rooms. Hit them down. Here's your mask, Joe. Let's go. Come on. Put that mask on, Ben, and keep down. Yeah, wait a minute. Somebody coming down the inside stairs. Duck Ben, he's got a gun. I got one, copper. Get out of my way. Stop it, you. You haven't got a chance. I'm coming through, copper. I think I stopped him, Joe. Can you see Johnson? No, it's too much gas in there. All right, you two up there. We got one of you. The other two, come on out. Joe, think we got him? I don't know. Can you see Johnson? No, Joe. It's still too thick in there. I'm going in, Ben. Cover me. Come on. We know there are two of you up there. <laughs> Just one, copper. Throw your gun down the stairs ahead of you. Hurry up. Shotgun, Joe. Jance. I see him. I'll take him at the foot of the stairs. <laughs> All right. I got my hands up. I found Johnson, Ben. All right, Jance. Outside. Come on. Move. Put the handcuffs on him, Ben. I'll cover you. Yeah. How's Johnson? I don't know. Ed, get the ambulance crew over here. Jance. Who's this other guy we got? Bemis. How about Sickle? I said just one, didn't I, copper? Never mind the smart talk, Jans. Now just answer the question, huh? Sickle wanted out of it a long time ago, so I let him out. He's upstairs. I let him out the back way. Then you shot him? He wanted out, didn't he? All right. We'll take him in. Johnson's in the ambulance. Uh, I'll see you in the office. Yeah. All right, Skipper. How about a smoke, huh? No. Yeah. Here you go. Backstrand said he didn't want those men to see another sunrise. 
Yeah. Five minutes to five, June. Sun ought to be up. Yeah. But look, man. It's cloudy. Guess we'll never know, huh? The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Edgar Red Jens, the sole survivor, was tried and convicted and sentenced to be put to death in the state penitentiary in the manner prescribed by law. You have just heard the fourth in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to radio car patrolman Forrest E. Sawyer of the Denver, Colorado Police Department, who on the evening of March 8, 1937, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.